Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We are so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matt, and the joy and honor of being the campus pastor here. So uh, as we jump into our sermon this morning, as you heard in the bumper, we are talking about asking for a friend, and we are asking those questions that uh, just maybe feel a little bit too uncomfortable to ask for yourself, so you ask them on behalf of somebody else. And uh, the, the first week, the question we asked uh, was really, when does God give up on you? Like, how far gone is too far gone? Like, can you out God to the point where he's just like, all right, you, I'm done with you, right? Uh, and the answer was no, you can't. That he's already paid for your greatest mistakes, uh, your biggest regrets. He's paid for those, but you also can't earn it. You can't uh, change your behavior enough to finally get God to love you, that he loves you despite your actions and behaviors, and instead gives you a heart that will be, that will be transformed to begin to act, live, and behave differently because of the radical, transforming love of Jesus. So that was week one. Week two, the question was, can you follow God if you still got some doubts? Like if there's things you're wrestling with and you don't have all the answers, and the answer was if you're actually being intellectually honest, we all have doubts. We all have things that we don't understand because we're not God and we're trying to understand this massive being that is bigger and beyond us, and there's some things we don't understand. But those doubts don't drive us away from God, they drive us into God. That they, they call us into uh, a more connected relationship to begin to push past those doubts is the only way we'll ever get over them. So that was week two. Uh, this week, we're going to ask a question that I think is going to be uh, relevant to all of us in here this morning. And here's the question our friend asked. You, I mean, you, you do know my anger is not my fault, right? Maybe you'd say it like, you know, it's not me. It's just the situations I find myself in. You know, if she wouldn't say that word to me, and she knows what that word does to me, but she keeps using it, it's not my fault. If my kids were just the angels that I dreamed them up to be in my head before I had them, it's not me, it's them. It's the circumstances of my life that make me this way, right? It's one of those things that it is so easy to identify in the life of somebody else, right? Maybe you have that coworker, and you're like, talking to the new person, you're like, yeah, don't, don't go near Jimmy before lunch. Like, if Jimmy hasn't had lunch, you just kind of steer clear of him because he's an angry fellow, right? We, we probably have somebody like that in our life, and it's so easy to see out there, but it is so hard to see in here. Another word I want to attach to it this morning would be offendability because they go so close together. Uh, to be angry and offended are often simultaneously uh, experienced. So my question, another question on this this morning would be, uh, are you an easily offendable person? How do you know that? Well, do people tiptoe around you? Do people try to be careful how they phrase things because of how they think you might react? Are people sensitive to how they approach you because they know, they say the wrong word. This is, this is where this conversation is going. They're, they're kind of closely tied together. Uh, here's some questions. Maybe this will help you identify where you, where you fall on the scale. When you're driving, how often do you use your horn or instruct the driver in front of you? All right. Rarely, if ever, <clears throat> as needed, at least once a day, it's the most used part of my car. All right. Listen, I drive around town. I know what that intersection's like. At a restaurant, how often do you complain about the food? Never. Only if it's cold or has bugs, I'll do anything to get a meal comped, all right? <laughs> right? You've been there. You're on that date having a delicious dinner, and you just hear the eruption on the other side of the, the uh, restaurant, and you're like, well, they've rehearsed this one. They know how to get a meal comp, right? Like, there's just this agitation. Here's the third one. 
This is a little personal. While we're waiting in a store express checkout line, you meditate quietly, count to see who has more than 10 items, <laughs> threaten anyone who looks like they might use coupons, all right? I literally was at Wegmans. I made the terrible choice. I was going to Wegmans at 4 o'clock yesterday, and I'm standing in the, in the checkout line, and I counted, and I had 16 and the 15. I kid you not, a wonderful woman walked up and went, hmm. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stay right here now. <laughs> I was going to ask one more question, and it was going to be, when you're at a sporting event and your kid gets a bad call from the referee, you are. But I thought that would be too personal, so I just left that one alone. <laughs> I'll let you you have it. What do we do with anger, though? Because we all experience it. If you're being honest this morning, we all experience it. Now, you may uh, exhibit it or demonstrate it differently. Maybe you're an outburst person. Like, you just, you kind of send it. That's just kind of bend your MO in how you process it. Maybe for you, it's you go to sarcasm or cutting words. Uh, Maybe for you, you're passive aggressive with it. Maybe for you, uh, you internalize it and you withdraw emotionally. So maybe you're like me and you do this really awesome combination of two terrible things. Um, If you think you're right, you go to sarcasm. If you think you're wrong, you emotionally withdraw because you're too embarrassed to admit it. You see, for the longest time in my life, I didn't think I had an anger issue because I have a really long fuse. I'm not kidding. I have a very, very long fuse. It takes a lot to get me riled up. And so I thought, I don't have anger because I don't blow up like everybody else. And then I realized that I was taking those angry emotions and I was stuffing them. But I wasn't all of a sudden one day just going to explode. I was taking those emotions, I was stuffing them, and they just began to erode my heart as I put them in there. Began to make me really bitter towards the people that had angered me or wronged me, which then led me to have a judgmental attitude towards them, and really, it was just pride. So you would never know what I thought, but I thought it, and it was in there. And as I began to unpack, I realized that that attitude really was uh, derived from anger that had gone undealt with. You see, unmanaged anger causes such havoc in our lives. It is the reason for such cold and stale marriages. What should be vibrant and life-giving and joyful is just business and stale because there's things deep inside of there that we're unwilling to process. Our kids are the recipients of unmanaged anger because it's easy to yell at a little one because they don't have quite the skills to argue back. And it's just easier. So, so often, throw myself under the bus here, they become the concentration of our frustration because it's just simpler. There's less pushback from them. Maybe for you, your coworkers get the brunt of your anger. You you don't want to do it at home because you saw a parent do it at home, so you don't do it there, but it has to come out somewhere so the coworker gets it, or the boss gets it, or the gas station attendant gets it, or the lady with 16 items in the checkout line gets it, right? Somebody gets it, or you get it. You internalize that anger. You internalize that frustration, and you begin to almost punish yourself for the anger you feel that others have caused you. So what do you do with it? What do you do with those feelings that we all have and and the angst that we all feel? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, what's happening is Paul, in the first half of this letter, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, has basically just explained the gospel. Uh, We were dead in our sin and trespasses, but God made us alive together in Christ. He has forgiven us our debt. We are now a new creation That is the gospel, that we don't have to be the old man anymore. God has made us new. That's the first half of the book. The second half of the book, he goes on to say, 
Here's what that means practically for us. Ephesians chapter 4, he's going to explain how the gospel changes how we interact with with anger. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 26 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Maybe when you hear that, you you think, what? (laughs) I thought anger was sin. I thought anger uh, was wrong. Well, not necessarily. You see, anger is an emotion that even God experienced. All throughout scriptures, you see God uh, feel and demonstrate and respond to anger. And there's a couple reasons that really drove God to anger. And you even see Jesus get driven to anger was one over sin. He, he hates what it does to his creation. You see God get angry over his creation uh, being mistreated. Those who bear the image of God with their worth and value, when they're mistreated, it drives God to anger. You also see God demonstrate anger when somebody impedes others from coming to, to, the, to God. So when that story that everybody loves to talk about to justify their anger, where Jesus comes in and he flips tables in the temple, right? If you've heard that story, you're like, see, I can get angry and flip tables. No. Jesus was angry because people were stopping other people from coming into a relationship with God. And here's the thing about anger when God demonstrates it. It never drove him to act sinfully, unjustly, or wrongly. Every time he demonstrated anger, it was actually in response to his righteousness. You see, sometimes anger is meant to drive you to change something. Have you ever been so angry at your own sin, your own behavior, you got so fed up with it, you finally decided to do something about it? It's the proper use of anger. You ever seen an injustice in the world and thought, I can do something about this, and this bothers me. That's the right response to anger. Aristotle actually puts it this way. He says this, anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, that is not easy. To walk into that conversation with your significant other and to say, this hurt me. This was wrong. Here's how I felt. I forgive you. I release you. And that's it. Because you know what happens in that conversation. I was wrong by this. You hurt me. And while we're at it, let's go, right? It it has moved beyond the scope of what is helpful and constructive when we feel that something is wrong. Here's a definition that I think would be helpful for us to understand anger. It's our first point for us this morning. Anger is an indicator that something is wrong. When you feel that emotion come up like a sneeze you can't stop, it should signal to you that something is wrong, either inside of your own heart, in the heart or lives of those around you, or in our world. When you feel that, it's not wrong. It's telling you something is broken. It's kind of like when you have a smoke alarm in your house, right? Uh, confession time this morning. Um, let's be honest. How many of you, when you get ready to cook, part of your cooking routine is unplugging your smoke alarm? <laughs> All right, come on. There's a few of you. Go to my in-law's house, and every time my father-in-law goes to cook, he gets out his little step stool, he climbs the step stool, and begins to safely cook. Right? But think about this idea with me. It, just imagine with me for a minute. You go to your friend's house. They invited you over for dinner. You walk in the door and you hear the smoke alarm going off in the kitchen and the kitchen's full of smoke. And while you're there, you walk in and you go, did they not notice it? And she's just over there baking muffins, getting ready for you, just doing her thing. All the while there's in the background. I was going to play 
that sound for you, but I don't want you to completely hate me by the end of this, so I decided not to, all right? But you're sitting there, she's baking muffins, just blaring behind you, and you sit down for dinner, and you're having dinner, and, and dinner's good, but it's just the whole time, and you're getting unnerved, and you're getting agitated, and then you get ready to leave, and they say, oh, thanks for coming, it's so good to have you. You walk out the door, and you realize they're going to bed with a smoke alarm going off, right? Like you're going to stand outside of that house and go, what's wrong with these people? Their house is going to burn down before they wake up. And yet, how often do you sit down at dinner? Do you walk into a friend's house? Do you walk into important spaces of your life where the anger is blaring inside of your head? You feel it. Like you walk into a house and you're like, oh, somebody fought before we walked in here. You can cut the tension with a knife, right? Like you know what I'm talking about, but we just have too much to do. We have too many muffins to bake and too many places to take our kids that we don't have time to deal with the blaring that's going on inside of us. And so we just walk around agitated and unnerved because nobody's meant to operate life with that going off inside of your heart all the time. But we've just kind of done it because... I don't have time to deal with that. I got other things to do. It begins to affect everything else in your life. Paul goes on to say this about anger in the next part of the verse. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. He said, don't go to bed while the smoke alarm's blaring. Why? Because your house will burn down. No, why not? Because I think what he's getting at is this. What started as an offense, a comment that probably shouldn't have been said, Unforgiven becomes a fear in communication. That fear in communication now becomes a breakdown in communication where safety is lost. Well, you, you never forgave that comment, so when you hear the next thing out of your mouth, you just out of their mouth, you just interpret it through that same lens, and all of a sudden that one comment has turned into an entire way of communication. Because the longer we let something sit in our heart, the more room it's going to take up. The longer you don't let the smoke out of the house, the more of the house is going to be filled with smoke. And Paul's saying, your anger is the same way. Deal with offense with such urgency that you're unwilling to sleep while those emotions are still inside of your heart. But here's the deal. It actually gets worse. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. What he says is that our unwillingness to forgive and deal with and reconcile where anger is, is actually leaving the back door to the enemy open in our life. Here's our second point for us this morning, that unmanaged anger is a fortress for the enemy. This word foothold that he uses is this term place, but it really refers to a military stronghold or what we would call ourselves today a bunker. What he said is unmanaged anger, undealt with bitterness, unresolved offense is a fortress for the enemy, a bunker in your life. And so it was just a comment, not that big of a deal, but you didn't let it go. You left the door open to the enemy. Well, now there's some distrust and there's some coldness in that relationship. And frankly, it just has irritated you so much, you've kind of lost your peace. You know, the disagreement you're in that you're sitting there eating a delicious dinner, and all you can think about is the, the frustration and annoyance of that situation. But what you've done is you've let the enemy into the bunker in your life that's brought him a little closer to you. And you know when you're in that place and you've lost your peace, everything annoys you. Life's not very fun 
because you're always waiting or you're always grumbling, well, then you hand the enemy another bunker and now he has your joy. Well, with no joy and no peace, you're not making great life decisions. You're not walking in in meaningful relationships because uh, really what you think you're doing is protecting yourself. You see, you fly off the handle because that way everybody else around you knows they can't control you and manipulate you because you've been controlled or manipulated in the past and you're not going to have it again. So this anger is really a defense mechanism so that they can't get near you. Or maybe you're like me and you just emotionally withdraw so that they can't get to the center of your heart. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're surprised to find the enemy in the middle of your camp. You're surprised to find emotions and feelings and thoughts about God and about people that you don't think or you never thought you'd think. The problem was you gave him the bunker when you were unwilling to forgive. Which is why Jesus is so adamant as he talks about the gospel, as he relays through the apostles how important forgiveness is. Because when you give up these bunkers, you are giving the enemy permission to bother you. You are giving him permission to steal your joy, to steal your peace, to steal your contentment. As you consider anger, I want you to understand this. Anger is not a primary emotion. It's actually a secondary emotion that is in response to usually one of three things, and it's this. It's in response to a hurt in the past, a frustration in the present, or a fear in the future. The anger that drives some of us, and you might not call it anger, you might call it something else, but the anger is driven as a defense mechanism because you were hurt deeply in the past. You are convinced that it's never going to happen again. Because it's true, it's hard to control what has happened to us in life. And so we've tried to take control back by our anger and our defense. Maybe it's a frustration in the present. You're just, you are, you're annoyed at how somebody is acting, reacting, or responding. It's not how you think it should go. But really it's just an unmet expectation. That it's gone on long enough that it now feels like anger. Or maybe there's a fear in the future. As you're so annoyed by or frustrated by how somebody has responded in the past that you just sit and think about what their actions are going to do to your future and it just drives you to bitterness or, or fear about what some politician might do or whatever, it drives us. You see, your anger is actually a coping mechanism to something else that is undealt with. But life keeps coming, right? You can't really deal with it. You have these things in your life, but life goes on. And you go to work, and your boss is a jerk because all bosses are jerks. Nobody has a good boss, apparently, all right? And he said that thing to you that he knows better than to say to you. And rather than just hearing it and forgiving it and releasing it, we hold on to it because we can still function. It serves as a good reminder for us. But then you go home, and your spouse makes that comment to you that you've asked them not to. They made it again, or they did that thing again. And you decided to hold on to it. Now, the difficulty with this is you can still function. You can still do most of what you want. Now it's awkward. You got to kind of do weird things and figure it out. But we have become so ingrained to not release because we've learned how to function in our dysfunction. We've learned how to deal with those emotions and still kind of get on with life. But life keeps coming. And then the pastor did that thing because pastors are awful. And you're annoyed. 
And then you went back into work and the coworker said that thing in the break room to you. And then you hopped on Instagram. And while you're on Instagram, you can't believe that they would say something about you like that. And then you were just scrolling and then you saw your friend's page. How dare they say that about my friend? And you take up an offense for somebody else. It wasn't even directed at you. But you're like, oh, I got you. I got your back. We'll get them together, right? And some of these things are big, and some of them are little, right? You just got caught off in, in traffic, but it was just kind of the day you had, and so you're just irritated. See, the thing about this is you think, I look so ridiculous, and I do, but this is what so many of our hearts and souls look like, consumed, carrying what we were never meant to carry, uh, full of things that are keeping us from better things in life. You see, it's, it's harder to do what's easy when you're carrying things you were never meant to carry. Let's throw this up there, guys. It's harder to do what's easy when you're carrying things you were never meant to carry. You know how hard it would be to go get a drink of water right now? Difficult. Which is why things in your life that you don't think should irritate you are irritating you. Relationships that you, you, you don't think should be bothering you are bothering you. Why? Because you have no space for it. You're consumed by all these other things. Which leads me to a question this morning. Is your past really your past? Or is it your present? See, the things that happen to us are legitimate and they are wrong. The offenses we carry are justified. They shouldn't have done that to you. They shouldn't have said that to you. It was wrong. And you actually have every right to hold on to that, to remember it, and to not forgive it if it wasn't for what Jesus did. If Jesus didn't go and forgive everything for you but we're stuck. We don't know what to do with it, so we just allow life to keep adding on, on to us. Can you get that for me? <laughs> See, but you laugh. Some of you have, you have friends like this who are helping you stay in bondage. Because, David, I set David up. <laughs> you know you go over to her house and you start talking about him. She's gonna jump on. Because she doesn't like him either. You go to your mother-in-law and say, she did it again, mom. And she's like, well, I told you not to pick her. What a terrible choice, right? Like, we have these friends. Why? Because they're hurt too. And it makes them feel better when we're also holding on to junk. When we're also holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. Listen to what Paul says in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander. And in case you don't think any of those fit you, get rid of every other evil in your life. Just get rid of it. But I want you to see the word here for anger and how it's defined. Anger is defined as agitation of the soul, impulse, desire, any violent emotion. You might not feel angry, but you probably got some angst. You know, just the, just the agitation. The, oh, he did it again. Huh. This is why I don't talk to them. Huh. Church people. He said it out loud. He says, get rid of all of it. And you think, all right, Matt, we get the point. Put these down. You look, come on, put them down. See, God's been saying this to you for a long time. I see what your soul looks like. I see what your heart looks like. Would you just get rid of all of them? You're like, no, 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 these are important to me. 
These remind me. But listen to what Paul says in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, which is really hard to do when you're angry, really hard to do when you're bitter. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So I know you have a right to feel this way if Jesus didn't pay for your sin, but he did. Therefore, it means something about how you interact with your unforgiveness. So you hear this, and you, maybe you got saved, and you became a Christian, and you, you know, I, I, Pastor told me I had to forgive some things. So you picked the easy one. I can forgive my fifth grade teacher. I don't remember her name, actually, so I don't know why I'm still mad at her, but I am, all right? I, I, this one's easy. I can, I can forgive my boss because he got fired anyway, so it makes me feel better about it. But I don't remember what that one's for. Sure, we can get free. Sure, all right. And we say, good, this Jesus thing is working. I'm changing. I'm growing. But what about these? Well, this is what that kid did to me when I was 12. I'm never letting that one go. That one served to protect me and remind me that people aren't safe. This one is from my dad. I, I, I can't trust. Nope, I'm keeping that one. But you know what we say? We say things like, I'm better than I used to be. So I'm up here. Better than my parents. You should have met me before. (laughs) I'm doing great now. And listen, that may be true, but you're still not free. There's still things holding you. There's still things consuming space in your life that no longer have a right to be consuming space in your life. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Forgiveness is God's desire but my decision. Forgiveness is God's desire, but my decision. God wants you free. God wants you whole. God wants you available to receive the things that he has for you, but you cannot get them if your arms are full of unforgiveness. And God won't make you forgive. That's the crazy thing. Now, he brings you to the foot of the cross. He reminds you his ridiculously overwhelming grace, but he won't make you. That's your decision to do so. But what happens is is God wants to give you good things. God wants to give you freedom. You've been praying and praying and praying that God would give you a better marriage. You've been asking God to make you a better parent, to make you a better child, to make you whatever. You've been asking asking God for these blessings, and he's trying to give them, but you're too full. You can't get what God is trying to give you because you have no space left for it. See, but if we could release what's in our hands... God can release what's in his hands. The better marriage you want, the joy, the good, deep friendships, the community you crave, the ability to lay your head down at night and not think about it only comes when we are willing to let go of the things we've been holding so that God can give us what he has been trying to give us. And maybe as you hear all this, you think, that's a lot, Matt. It's a lot. I don't need to go that deep. It's, it's frankly just my kids. They're just annoying. It's just my boss. If I could have a new one, I, I'd be fine. Imagine and think with me for a minute. If I really am walking in forgiveness, and there is no one that I'm holding a grudge with, and I, I am free in my heart and my soul with the Lord, When my kid throws a tantrum in Rob's market, 
and knocks all the puffs over. Do you see how free I am to receive my child? Do you see how free I am to respond the way I want to respond? The way you want to respond? With kindness and compassion, I'm able to receive him, love him, and release him. Because I'm in this habit of releasing. And so next time we walk into Rob's, I'm not reminded of what my kid did before because I've released it. There's some of us here in this room this morning, and our arms are full. Maybe there's some in your car that you left back there. Years of unforgiveness that God is trying to say, if you would let it go, I could give you everything you have been looking for. For some of us, there's a few. Those few have served what we think to protect us, but in reality, they have imprisoned us. Things happened 20 years ago are determining the choices you're making now. God has something else for you. For some of us in here, it's one thing. It's one person. You know who it is. I don't have to tell you. Would you release them so that God can give you what he's been trying to give you all along? They don't deserve it. You're right, they don't, and neither did you. I don't know about you, but I needed to be forgiven by God. God didn't get a bonus when he got me. God got a broken, messed up, selfish jerk and radically transformed him by his love, his grace, and his mercy. That's how changed I have been. Wouldn't it be just what we're called to? To exhibit that to people unworthy, undeserving, and perhaps even unrepentant because here's the thing, they're not holding it anymore, you are. And it's not being dealt with, and it's determining your future. So for you, my challenge for you is this week is you would begin to catalog or write down the things that you need to release, the people you need to forgive, the conversations you need to have. And, and maybe for you, it's a few. Maybe for you, the person you need to forgive is no longer with you, no longer with us. Those are difficult because reconciliation is, is hard, but it doesn't mean you have to hold it. You can forgive them. I want to be very practical with you this morning. If you're here and you're going to be honest about your anger, I want, to, I want to help you and me overcome it. When you feel that emotion, you know, it comes up like a sneeze sometimes, right? Like just, it's hard to stop, but you can stop. It is not hardwired in you to blow up or stuff. Those were coping mechanisms you learned over years of, of responding to hurt, fear, and frustration that you can retrain. You don't have to be driven to sin every time you feel angry. And when you throw this flare up, it says, God, help. You know I want to say, you know I feel, and I know I shouldn't, but I, I need your help to not go there. God, would you help me? And then ask a couple really important questions. Why am I so angry? Is it really a big deal that your kid knocked over the puffs in the store and he's throwing a tantrum in front of a bunch of people that go to church? No, it's not. You feel those emotions because there were six things earlier in the day you were actually mad at. And then those emotions get put in a place that they didn't belong, on a person who didn't deserve it. And it's often those closest to us. Work back. Why am I actually so angry? Next question. What do I really want out of this situation? I don't think in the history of my life I've gotten what I wanted out of being angry. Now, I may have gotten a response or obedience or 
not even obedience, compliance in the short term. But I lost what I really wanted in the long term, which was deep, meaningful relationships. What do I really want out of this situation? And forgive, as Christ forgave you, and this is huge, go. Take appropriate action. For this week, this means some of us are making phone calls. This means we're, we're sitting down with someone to have a conversation. This means this week some of us need to own some things that we've done wrong. This means this week some of us need to go apologize. This means this week some of us need to forgive people that we've been hanging on to for 20, 30 years. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, Matt, you don't understand the depth of my pain. Can I tell you there's a room full of people who have felt depths of pain? There's a room full of people who are now free because Christ's love is enough to change everything. But sometimes wounds and pains are so deeply ingrained in us that we can't do it on our own. We need some people. We need a pastor. We need a mentor to help us walk through and release and forgive. We would love to provide that for you, a space where you can begin to to process and kind of unpack some areas that you need to walk in forgiveness. So whatever it is for you this morning, my challenge is don't go much longer holding on to it. Because God has incredible things he wants to give you. And would you be free to receive them? Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come to you to just humbled by the ridiculous forgiveness you have shown us. God, I know that I have failed I have said and done things that I swore I would never say or do again, and yet you forgave because Jesus paid the price. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be the most forgiving, least offendable people. Lord, I pray that when we are offended, we would keep short accounts, we would sit at the foot of the cross and be reminded of the grace we've been given, and we would show that same grace to those around us. God, we are all broken. We are all messed up. We are all in need of you. And thank you that we have you. Lord, I pray that the anger that's inside of us would not drive us to sin, God, but it would drive us to be the agents of change in our community, God, that we would step in to be a difference maker. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.